0: Begin a new series this morning entitled Off the Chain. I want to talk to you about breakthrough, breakthrough in your life. And here's the, here's the challenge I want to give you. I love what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he made this declaration. He said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, did you catch that? Amen. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Hey, keep the youth in here. I don't want the junior hires leaving. They need to stay in here. They need to hear this today. Okay? Stick around with us. This is going to be worthwhile. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded upon the rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to the foolish person who builds their house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Let me show you... Something that I think is very important to understand. The wise person and the foolish person. Both of them face the rains, the floods, and the wind. We all face it. And God is faithful. God's more than faithful. God is gracious. And it is God's heart, it's God's desire for you to live your life in a perpetual state of breakthrough. <clears throat> when I was 20 years old, I'm, I'm 50 years old now. 30 years ago, uh, I was I was working in business. I was a, um, I was a, a youth pastor uh, in a, a I had a youth group of one, um, which was probably more than what I, what I could handle at the point at that time, uh, and I was also working full time for a computer company, uh, working in sales and marketing, and uh, and I was fortunate to be a part of a company that. That really invested in us, invested training in us. And the, um, they gave me a book that was written in 1937 by a, a gentleman the name of Napoleon Hill. The book's entitled Think and Be Rich. It's really, it's an outstanding book. Um, Napoleon Hill was one of the, the first people to really write uh, on books of self improvement, uh, but just an outstanding book. Uh, but there was a story inside that book that, that challenged me. And, and spoke to me, it resonated with me. And for 30 years, the principle in this story, it has stuck. And, 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 and it's a true story. It's a story of a gentleman by the name of R.U. Darby. R.U. Darby, in, in, in the late 1890s, his uncle staked a claim in Alaska during the Alaskan Gold Rush. And, uh, and, and the, in the midst of the Alaskan Gold Rush, he was out there and he, he, he found a little bit of gold, had a little bit of success, and he convinced RU to come out there and join him. And not only did RU go out, come out there and join him, but they arranged through family and friends and connections for some people to invest in this gold mining operation because they'd found a little bit of gold and so they had evidence of potential and, and so they, they got people to invest. And the good news is this, when RU Darby went out there, man, they started finding gold. So much so that they were able to quickly pay back all of their investors and pay off all of the equipment that they purchased. But no sooner than them paying off the investors and paying off all the equipment they purchased, an opportunity for money to now flow to them, two things happened. Number one, R.U.'s uncle passed away. And, And then very shortly after that, they stopped finding gold. Nothing. Month after month after month. In fact, a couple of years passed by. Nothing. And finally, in frustration, R.U. Darby sells his stake in the mine and he sells all the equipment that they have purchased. He actually sells the equipment at scrap cost. Goes back to Baltimore and gets into the insurance business. About six months later, R.U. Darby receives word from the gentleman who purchased his gold mine that they dug three feet, and after digging three feet, they came upon the largest vein of gold that has been recorded in all of the Alaska Gold Rush. Are you Darby stopped digging three feet short. For the last 30 years, one of the things that, that I have constantly reminded myself of is this, Ed, don't live your life Three feet short. Don't, don't stop three feet short. And, and here's what I find. I find this, that far too many people live their life three feet short. What if Charles Schultz had lived his life three feet short? Do you know that Charles Schultz was rejected for a job when he applied for a job at Walt Disney? And they should have known better. Why? Because Disney was fired from his newspaper job and he was told that he had no imagination or creativity (laughs) Oprah Winfrey was fired from one of her first jobs she was told that she was unfit for television what happens if these people stop three feet short the first five businesses that Henry Ford started ended in failure and the guy was broke anybody drive a Ford here today or this guy, Bill Gates. Bill Gates, the first company that he started with Paul Allen, his co-founder of Microsoft, was a company called Trafodata. You ever heard of that? Yeah. By the way, before I started researching for this sermon, neither had I. But they, they didn't stop three feet short. We live our lives far too often, friends, three feet short. And let me tell you where it concerns me the most. It concerns me the most in this. It concerns me the most in the church because I cannot tell you how many times and how many places and how many church, whether it be in part of the leadership or a guest, where I've heard this, that we are on the edge of breakthrough. I've heard that so many times. We are on the edge of breakthrough. A year later, we're on the edge of breakthrough. A decade later, we're on the edge of breakthrough, and yet we live our life three feet short. The God of all creation is crazy about you. And it is his desire that you walk in all of the fullness of God. Why then, why do we do this? Why do we live our lives three feet short? Here's the reason why. Because spiritual breakthrough requires authentic praise. And authentic praise requires vulnerability. Genuine breakthrough requires fasting. Fasting is genuine vulnerability. Spiritual breakthrough requires prayer. And and not the pray that most of us as Christians pray. In Luke 18, Jesus talks about this issue of justification. And I believe this. I believe it's an indictment of not just the religious people of Jesus' day. I believe that it's a healthy, a godly indictment of us. I'm going to go a step further. I believe it's a healthy, godly indictment potentially of you. Well, I just went from preaching to being personal, didn't I? And here's what Jesus said. He says this, a Pharisee and a tax collector both pray. And the Pharisee says this, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like all these people. I thank you that I am so good and I'm so wonderful and I I thank you that I'm not like this person or this person or like this tax collector. The tax collector can't even look towards heaven. He just says, oh God, oh God, have mercy on me. Jesus says, he's the one who was justified that day. As I read through scripture, here's what I find. I find this over and over again, that those who experienced the dynamic of God, they put themselves in a place of substantial vulnerability. We don't do vulnerability well. We don't do vulnerability well because of this issue of shame. Shame and fear. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me help you to understand shame a little bit. And I, I want to give you the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Let me give that to you again. Guilt is, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. How, how many of you here have done something bad? Yeah. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you didn't raise your hand because you're concerned about being vulnerable. You know why? Because, you, you, because of shame. Come on now. And, 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 and here's what I know, had I asked that question differently, had I asked that question and said, how many of you here, more often than you care to admit, feel like you are bad? Are you unworthy? you'd have been hesitant to raise your hand out of fear that comes out of that shame. But you deal with it. In fact, every person deals with it. You may operate in denial, but friend, you deal with it. Because it's a direct consequence of sin and you are a sinner. Let me say that again. The issue of shame is a direct consequence of sin and you are a sinner. And so we all deal with this shame. If they knew this this about me, Because I'm not good enough, fast enough, pretty enough, smart enough, brave enough, strong enough, wealthy enough, whatever enough. And what happens is because of this this feeling of shame and not knowing how to deal with it in our life, we live our life three feet short. We'll let people into our life, but only so much. And this arms-reach relationship that we have that starts with the arms-reach relationship with God, right? Even in our prayers, we're not honest to God. We try to convince God that we're something better than what we are. And we're not honest with one another. Because this prayer thing, it's not just a personal thing, it's a corporate thing. Over 18 times in Scripture, it talks about praying for or with one another. Confess your faults to one another. One of the toughest Scriptures for us to actually live out. Confess your faults to one another. Well, it says my faults, not my sins. Let me set you free. Your faults are your sins. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And we we deal with this issue of of shame and fear, and, and, and we don't process it well. And there's not a generation, there's not a generation that has lived that has faced this issue more than us. Our culture, American culture, doesn't do vulnerability well. And, and of our culture, our generation, to date, we're probably the worst. Why? Well, it's because we're the most messed up. We are the most in debt, out of shape, addicted generation in U.S. history. And so in that, if, if they knew the addiction that I deal with, If they knew the habit that I don't like to talk about. If they knew this failure from my past. If they knew how crazy my family is. Come on now. You want to compare crazy, we can talk. Because I have done some of the dumbest things, okay. And I have more than one crazy uncle. Uh, in fact, in my family, it's, it's not the one crazy uncle, it's the, the one sane one that you go, hey, that's all right. See, that, that guy's normal, there's hope for the rest of us, right? But because of what we deal with internally and then what's demonstrated for us socially, environmentally, We are a very closed-off generation. See, that's the beauty of social media. You know what? I can be your friend, but I don't really have to interact with you. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) R-O-F-L. Right? There's other ones. I don't know many because I don't. Yeah, that's not my deal. So, um, you know. Hashtag pastors getting in my junk today. The um, <laughs> Shame has two big tools, and, the, and, and they're this. That you're not good enough. And, and when you get past the whole feeling of you're not good enough, here's what shame comes to one-two punch. You're not good enough. You deal with that, who do you think you are? But here's what God says. He says this, that we come to Jesus as we are. Right? First time I ever walked to an altar was to a song, Just As I Am, Without One Plea. But that his blood was shed for me. Right? Just as I am. And what happened is I stepped into a culture that pushed me to be something that I'm not. See, in vulnerability, we have to admit some things that we don't like to admit. So let me give you an example. As a church, as a church, we have to, with vulnerability, we have to admit the fact that we've thought we're something more than what we are. We're that big deal because we've got that big building right on I-4 that has kept us in financial bondage for years. And yet we can't admit that. Why? Because that admission means that we're acknowledging that at some point we made a misstep. A mistake, a, a failure. Wow. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter six. And Ephesians chapter six. God gives us a response to the reality of the world that we live in. We're told to put on the full armor of God. Why? Why are we supposed to put on the full armor of God? We're supposed to put on the full armor of God to where we can take our stand against the attacks of the enemy. Is that what it says in your Bible? What is it? The schemes. The schemes. Notice it doesn't say attack, it says the schemes. And that's what the enemy is. The enemy is a schemer. So here's what he does he tells you you're something that you're not. You remember uh, a couple months ago, I talked about that issue of the critical inner voice, right? And he starts messing with us, that critical inner voice, and convincing us that we're something that we're not. It's not the attacks, okay. It's not these demonic legions that are, are going to show up and beat you up. It's, it's the schemes. And wow, they are intense and incredibly effective. And so we're told that we're supposed to put on the full armor of God. I'm talking about how we do that, what it's made up of, and why. And then tagged right onto the bottom of that, Ephesians 6.18, it says this, and pray, and pray, and pray. Okay? So victory in the spiritual battle that is an inevitability It's about positioning ourselves. Right? Salvation, faith, truth, walking in that. And then prayer. And and I, I love I, I believe this. I believe that there are some incredible principles there. In Ephesians six eighteen, just an, I'm gonna, I want to break down that one verse for a few moments this morning. I, I want you to notice this. It says, "Praying always." Okay, some translations put it this way: "Praying continually." Well, how do I do that? How do I how do I pray always? How do I how do I pray continually? First Thessalonians, it tells us that we're supposed to rejoice always, pray continually. I, I love that combination. Rejoice always, pray continually. Well, to have an understanding of what it means to pray continually, we have to break down what prayer actually is. And here's what prayer is. Prayer is dialogue with God. Now, for, for far too many of us, it's monologue with God. Right? Now I lay me down to sleep. And God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. We partake. Amen. Or, God, or, or if you're really hungry, God's neat, let's eat. And so prayer is a monologue thing. It's, it's something that we do. It's a presentation that we offer to God and then we get on with our business, right? For, for far too many, what prayer is is this. It's performance prayer or panic prayer. Performance prayer. Now lay me down to sleep. Okay. Or performance prayer, oh, thou great God of heaven, who art always on my mind. Right? Really good performance prayer is done with King James, isn't it? And and then there's panic prayer, oh, God, I'm in trouble. God, if you get me out of this, seriously, I will go and minister to the lost tribes of Africa. God, I just need you to bail me out one more time. Right? Performance prayer and panic prayer. Praying continually is living in this state of genuine connection and dialogue with God. So if I'm in continual connection with you and continual relationship with you, the hope is this, is that I'm not constantly talking. It's enough for you to put up having to listen to me for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. Trust me, continually you don't want that. And somebody just said an hour and a half. Let the record show that the service lasts for an hour and a half. I have not preached for an hour and a half. Come on now. But I can. Here's what I know: your spirit can only absorb what your seat can endure. Some of you that'll come to you later and you'll laugh. Oh, you'll laugh. Anyway. This issue of, of, of having a an open dialogue between me and God. Right? It's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a continual thing. Praying always. And 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 th- there should be some. There should be some some creativity to that prayer, some some variation to that prayer. Why? Because conversation, it, it should speak to the situation that I currently find myself in. Do you have that person in your life that they tell the same stories over and over again? And you just go, please, come on. I love you, Grandpa, but... I love you Billy, but. And so, when we move beyond performance prayer to relationship prayer, here's what happens. Uh, It becomes, it becomes very um, illustrative and very creative. Especially when I can push past this issue of shame and guilt and stop trying to convince others, God, and myself. And truly embrace this issue of just as I am. I, um, I love this time of year because I, I love the opportunity to see friends that, that I've not seen for a while. And, um, and there, there are several families from Wisconsin that are here today and um, a couple of, of pastor friends that I've appreciated their ministry for forever. Um, Ron Held, who's just a mighty man of God, one of the leaders of the Wisconsin district of the Assemblies of God. And then uh, a gentleman by the name of Jerry Brouette. Jerry and I uh, pastored together in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Jerry, we know why you're not in Green Bay today. And uh, we are so happy to have you here, 72 degrees. This is not a bad place to be. And... Um, but um, Jerry, um, uh, for years, uh, pastored a great church in Green Bay. And, um, and I loved the opportunity. Uh, busyness didn't allow us to do it as much as I would have liked. But I loved the opportunity that we had to connect. Um, and his wife mentioned, she said, I remember a message that you preached, a funeral message that you preached. Um, and actually, she made this statement. I, I will share this because I'll share the whole story of it. She said, best funeral message I've ever heard. Which her husband's standing there next to her, and he's a pastor, and he's probably preached some funeral messages. So my apologies, Jerry. Um, the um, and this is what I told her, and, and not trying to be self-deprecating, but this is what I told her. I said, I said, twenty-four hours before I preached that message, I was sitting in my office. It's the second of November, sleet, gray, ugly Green Bay day. Green Bay is gorgeous in July. Uh, October into November, hmm, not so much. Because then you don't yet have the snow on the ground. It's just kind of gray. And it's gray for a very long time. And it's just, it's, 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 it's cold, it's a wet cold. I just, seriously, I'm, I'm rejo- thank you God for Orlando today. Anyway. I'm sitting staring out my window and my phone rings. And it's it's one of the men from the church. And he says, Pastor, how are you doing? And I said, I'm not good. And he said, why not? I said, because tomorrow this church will be packed full of people and I have nothing to say to them. What am I supposed to say? A 29-year-old mother of two preschoolers in perfect health dies for seemingly no purpose. What am I supposed to say to these people? You know what? In that moment, I couldn't, how are you doing, Pastor? Well, I'm great, praise the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored. I, that's not the way I felt. You know how I felt? I felt this, this, this stinks. Okay. In true vulnerability, what I wanted to say is what I what I felt like saying was this sucks. But I thought you might be offended if you heard me say sucked, and so I filtered it and said stinks because I wasn't willing to be real vulnerable with you. How's that? And and uh, my prayer to God was this. God, I don't know what to do, I need help. You've gotta show up in a big way. And, and I will tell you, I, I, will, I tell people this, that the best message that I've ever preached was that funeral, and it was because God showed up in a big way, the, the message that God gave me in that moment was powerful. And it was what was needed in that moment to help a, a church, not just a church, because she was from that town, a community that, that was hurting, And and here's what I have found, when we are open to God, when we're vulnerable to God, he is more than faithful. See, God brought you here today, sir, ma'am, young person, God brought you here today to try to tear down some of those bricks of your wall. And, and, And to bring you to a place of some vulnerability praise there's vulnerability in that fasting there's vulnerability in that prayer there really should be vulnerability in this thing honest earnest in the moment pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit this issue of supplication in the spirit I have my notes, and this is, I don't try to do this, it's just kind of the way it flows to me, this whole alliteration thing. I've consecrated prayer. God, this, the junk that I deal with in my life, I really can't even process it well on my own. So what I've got to do is this. In my prayer, God, I, I have to let you even be master of my prayer time. And let the Spirit of God even guide me uh, when I pray. And that being a a consistent thing, it being a a regular part of what I do. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. It's got to be consistent and, and courageous. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. God, I'm I'm believing in you. I'm standing on the promises that you've given to me. And then moving beyond me, this issue of of caring prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I mentioned this earlier. I'll remind you of it. 18 times in the New Testament. It talks about praying for one another. Prayer, I believe, finds its powerful place when it's done collectively. Right? Isn't it interesting that God would say this? Where two or more Agree on anything, it shall be done, right? Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that if I'm not vulnerable, in my relationship with God, in my vertical relationship, I'm not gonna be vulnerable in my horizontal relationships. I also believe this, if I'm not vulnerable in my horizontal relationships, my relationship with you, it influences that vertical relationship. The lack of vulnerability I think is greatest inside the church. And I don't know why. I'm not sure why that is. I mean, there, there's some, some theories that I could espouse, but I, I'm, I'm really not sure of it. But I find this. I find that when I interact with my neighbors, that they're much more transparent. I find talking to the average person I I don't know, they're more transparent. The person that I sit beside on the plane will share more with me about their life than you do. There's something odd about the church that this issue of rigidity, okay, and, and distancing, that it's greatest in the church. Could it be, I want you to think about this, could it be because the enemy knows how powerful the church would be if it became truly transparent, open, honest, vulnerable. In fact, here's the experience that I've had. In the, in the mid-1990s, I, I was blessed to serve as the associate pastor, uh, the executive pastor in a church suburb of, of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And for about six months, we we had this tremendous spiritual awakening. Um, people like to call it revival. I don't like the term revival. Um, I don't think we're dead. I think we're just sleeping. And um, and so um, I, I much prefer the term just spiritual awakening or spiritual renewal. And, and, and anyway. Uh, God just began to move and the church began to respond to it in a profound way. And for about six months, we went Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. The church packed. And, and incredible things happening. And In fact, in that time frame, a church that ran about 1,300 saw documented. This isn't pastors stretching numbers, which we do um, horribly. Not really horribly. We do it really well. Anyway, um, it it, it, it was This isn't pastors stretching numbers. This is honest, documented names. 1st time decisions for Christ, and the number of people that were set free and and healed were. I mean, we had people set free from lifelong addictions, like instantly set free. <laughs> let me tell you what I. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what was. What was noteworthy about that for me? Night after night after night, as the message was drawing to a close and people were being called to an altar, as the pastors, we would, we would, we would come and, and we would be prepared to pray with people. And, and night after night, as I stood at that altar, men would come to me and share with me Things that I would have never have dreamed were in their life. And they were open and they would say, Pastor, I, I have this addiction. I have this habit. I, I have this thing in my life that I, I'm believing that God's going to set me free from. And, and just, it, just overnight, I, I finally got to the point that I started doing this. A guy would come up and he would start to talk to me about his issue. Um, like a a, a sexual addiction issue or something like that. And I would say, hold on, stop. Come here. Pete, come here. Okay. I want you to tell him what you told me about you two nights ago because he's going through the same thing and I want you to tell him how God set you free. I just started connecting these people because here's the thing, God was setting this person free and he was setting this person free and he was setting this person free and, and he was bringing this miracle in this person's life and setting this person free. And it was happening as a direct result of them saying, God, I'm not here to prove how good or great I am. I'm also not here to beat myself up for how horrible I am. God, I'm here just as I am. Friend, let me tell you why you live three feet from a breakthrough. You live three feet from a breakthrough because that's the distance that you keep God from you. Let me tell you why for years. Calvary Assembly of God, Orlando, Florida, why for years this church has been three feet from a breakthrough, it's because we've kept God at a three-foot distance, close enough that we can experience him, but not so close that we have to engage with him. And let me, let me do this, I'll even go on record and potentially offend some people. We've had pastors that have been great pastors that have pastored this church and left this church. Three feet from a breakthrough, and I wonder what would have happened had they just held on a little bit longer, pushed a little bit more. I wonder what the church could be. <laughs> well, both as a pastor and a person, I'm not willing to live three feet. I'm not willing to do it. I'm not willing to do it. <laughs> it is time for us to be honest about who we are, both individually and collectively. Sir, you're a messed up person. Accept it. Ma'am, I know how tough it is for a woman to admit they're not perfect. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come, please. We know you're not perfect. We know that you don't like what you see when you look in the mirror because of what the world pushes on you, and that you struggle with that, but you can't admit it. Because men, one of the things that we can't admit, our biggest area of shame is over the issue of admitting weakness, and, and women, one of the biggest areas of shame is admitting imperfection, but we're all there. It is time for the church to start confessing its faults to one another and praying for one another. It's time for us to admit that we're not a big deal. Man, if it weren't for the grace of God. I'm a guy who's made a ton of mistakes in my life. The thoughts that run through my head and the junk that I deal with, the the emotions that I go through, how much it messes me up when I find out that one of you doesn't like me. Why wouldn't you like me? What's wrong with me? You know, I'll tell people as a leader, you, you don't get to choose whether you make people mad. You just get to choose whether or not you make people mad. And I believe that. And yet I struggle with it so much. Knowing that even though I've done the right thing, that, that somebody's going to be upset with me. I mentioned the possibility of, of even the possibility, folks, let's, let's Let's open it up to God that, God, do you want to do do something with Calvary other than us hanging out in this big, very expensive building? And, And I had people mad, not liking me. Let's get rid of the pastor. As long as you don't send me back to Green Bay, I'm good. I love Green Bay. My friends in Green Bay, I love Green Bay. It's just the weather. Well, and the football team, but that's a different topic. But I can do this, I can put on a good face when I'm, sitting, when I'm standing here, but I leave here and I go home, it shatters me, it shatters me. Why? Because of this issue of insecurity that I just have to deal with on a regular basis. I don't like admitting that to you because you know why? Because I'm insecure. Right? I'll watch this later on Good Life 45 and I'll go, "Ed, why did you say that?" So let me just apologize to myself. Ed, I'm sorry that I did this to you. Well, you got to get behind got to get beyond this. You know why? Because God wants you to walk in victory. He wants you to live in breakthrough. And God doesn't need us because God has no need. But Orlando needs Calvary. Mm -hmm. Not the Calvary that we are. They don't need this, they need the Calvary that God wants us to be. So it's time for us to dig that final three feet. The church collectively cannot dig the final three feet to break through unless you dig the final three feet personally to break through. Let me say this again. You can't live individually like this towards God and others and the church be like this. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Okay. People will regularly ask me, they'll go, Pastor, how come we don't see a greater move of God? And you know why? It's because this. It's because you're like this. Ah, Pastor, I think it's just because you're not preaching good enough. And that might be a part of it. But you know what? Here's the thing. If you moved that last three feet, here's what's cool. Are you ready? Because you just don't do it personally, you do it corporately. It has impact on me as well. And together we step into that breakthrough that God has for us.